Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day. I lost my I lost my place there for a second. I don't even have a script in front of me. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 19th day of June 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the team that will probably win the 2016 World Series, the San Francisco Giants. Um, I am just pulling back the curtain a little bit. I'm recording this as a Sunday request a little bit ahead of time because I'm basically on vacation. Uh, I'm going to be doing a series of Evergreen Podcasts. And I didn't want to spend my vacation with my family sitting doing a bunch of shows. But I didn't want you to lose out. And I've got a bunch of Sunday requests that I have banked. So I figured, you know, we're going to unload some of them today. And so here we are, the 19th day of June 2016. And if a huge event in baseball took place on the 18th or the 19th of June... Uh, the reason I'm not covering it today is because I'm recording this way in advance. If something did huge happen in those two days, rest assured, on Monday, June 20th, I will cover it. Even though I'll still be on vacation, I'll do a quick one. Everyone will be asleep and I'll be in the lobby of the hotel. Hey, uh, here's a Sunday request that I got from Noah Kennedy, uh, whose Twitter handle is Noah underscore Ken13. He wrote to me, uh, Sully Baseball, a Sunday request idea. It's something I wonder about a lot. You may have some interest too. And he sent a, like a screen capture because his question was a little bit long. So I'm going to read you this whole thing and go through my general thoughts on this. Uh, I have a Sunday request idea to shoot by you for whenever. Thanks. Well, I'm doing it now. I thought it might be interesting to take a look at players who probably won't make the Hall of Fame but will have the same lasting impact as if they had. I, sadly, I know exactly what he means, but a lot of players like Marlon Byrd are forgotten and left behind for the great heroes like Trout and Harper that hit 50 home runs and won MVP after MVP. But for every Harper, you have your Edgar Martinez or Dale Murphy. Who do you think this generation's Martinez or Murphy will be? This is really interesting because a lot of times when you take a look at who the most influential players of the decade or who the the most famous or beloved players of a decade are, a lot of times you're going to see that, you know, most of the time there you're going to see a lot of Hall of Famers and you're going to see a lot of people who were the, you know, the dynamic players of the day. And, of course, with the whole um, PED world, you're seeing that some players who should be in the Hall of Fame or who, who are, or if you don't think they belong in the Hall of Fame, at least have the reputation and the the accomplishments of a Hall of Famer, even if you think they've been tainted, um, at least, you know, were the dominant figures of their era. If you don't believe Barry Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame because of his connection to PED, that's that's on you. And, I'll, you know, I don't agree with you, but I'll respect that. If you don't believe that Roger Clemens belongs in the Hall of Fame for the same reason, same response. But you will admit that they at least put together a Hall of Fame caliber career, even if you don't acknowledge it. If you can't do that, then, I, then there's no hope for you. But when you take a look at 
the eras of baseball in, of recent years. And, you know, through basically through the 70s and 80s, you will see that there are players who emerge, who are not just, you know, hall, who are not Hall of Famers, but have a tremendous impact on the game, have a tremendous impact on the fan base, have a tremendous impact on, you know, who are some of the most beloved players of that time. If we say that modern baseball began in the age of divisional play, I mean, take a look at some of the players who have won, like, MVPs or Cy Young Awards through the 70s who are not Hall of Famers, but put a gigantic thumbprint on the era and to this day remain the most beloved players in their particular fan bases. I mean, you Vita Blue, Boog Powell, Dick Allen, Steve Garvey, Freddie Lynn, Thurman Munson, George Foster, Dave Parker, uh, Sparky Lyle, Keith Hernandez. I mean, you take a I mean, Fernando, I mean, you, these are, I'll get to the 80s in a second, but you, those are some of the names that you look at going, yeah, the, the, you, you, you think about the Red Sox at that time, you think about the Yankees at that time, Lynn and Munson basically represented, you think about the terrifying batters of that time, Foster and Parker, you know, the pure hitter of that was Keith Hernandez. They had a huge impact on the game, and yet, I don't think anyone would say, I mean, you could make a case for Parker in the Hall of Fame and perhaps you can make a stretch for a case for Vita Blue. I would definitely make a case for Dick Allen, but, you know, Garvey and all of them, that whole infield that the Dodgers had, Garvey, Lopes, Say, Russell, that's one of the great infields in the history of baseball. Not one of them's a Hall of Famer. There's always going to be that player who has that effect. And... You know, you go in the 80s. The 80s was, were filled with, as I said, Fernando Valenzuela, Oral Hershiser, Doc Gooden, Rick Sutcliffe, Brett Saberhagen, uh, you know, Dale Murphy, as you pointed out, uh, Willie McGee. I mean, these are players, George Bell, Canseco, Kirk Gibson. And these are the players who you look at, Frankie Viola, who were the big, huge, some of them are postseason legends. Some of them were people who made an indelible imprint on the franchise. Will Clark is another one that comes to mind. I mean, the 80s were filled with players like that. You know, and he, the, the Juan Gonzalez had won two MVPs in the 90s. David Cohn was a dominant pitcher for how long? You know, Larry Walker was great. You know, going along the players, Bernie Williams, Nomar Garcia Parra. They're not getting to the Hall of Fame, but they're beloved. And they had a huge impact on the game, and they had a huge impact on the teams that they played on. I don't know if Ryan Howard or Jimmy Rollins are going to make it to the Hall of Fame. But do you know what? The, 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 there's no real way to write down the players who will be in that position, in a way, because... You have to see how their careers unfold. I mean, the first name that came to mind when he when he said that, and I actually wrote it down, the first name that came to mind was Tim Lincecum. I mean, Tim Lincecum, I would argue, is still the most beloved giant, even though he's now in the California Angels organization. 
I still call them the California Angels, forgive me. But Timmy Time, the freak, what he meant to the franchise, what he meant to the Giants for his peak years, really between 2008 and 2011, he, was, he mesmerized the city. He was beloved. He was the face of the franchise and led them to the promised land that no other great player could have done. And when you think about it, it was really only four years. And he hasn't been even an effect. Or, he was mediocre in 2013. He was mediocre in 2014. He threw a no-hitter in each of those years. But he was not really, I mean, he was a mop-up man by the time the 2014 playoffs came around. It's been 2011 since he was an all-star caliber pitcher, and yet Giant fans still talk about That was the last year he had an ERA under four. And yet Giant fans still talk about him with this adoring praise because of what he did in that peak. Essentially what you're talking about is a player who had a peak that was super, super high. And because of that, it makes the effect of their career uh, greater than the sum of the entire parts. A Joe Carter is another player from the 90s like that who had years where he's not a Hall of Famer by any standard. And yet, he was a big home run hitter, and of course hit the big, huge home run for the Toronto Blue Jays that year. And because of that, you know, look at him. He's going to be, you know, you mentioned Joe Carter, anyone who's a Toronto Blue Jays fan, look at them grin. You know, a player from the 2000s that I think of like that. Again, it's someone who, when they hit their peak, you thought, I'm looking at a Hall of Famer right now. I am looking at a Hall of Famer. And then it doesn't work out. The one that immediately comes to mind from the 2000s is uh, Johan Santana. In 2004, Johan Santana, well, by the middle of 2003, it was clear he was a great pitcher. By 2004, he was a Cy Young Award winner. He should have won the Cy Young Award, at least, I mean, all, all metrics had him winning the Cy Young Award again in 2005. He won it again in 2006. Uh, and had a great first year in, with the Mets in 2008. I mean, there was a period, that's really a one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, six and a half year stretch where you look and say, this is the best pitcher in baseball. We may be looking at a Hall of Famer. By, you know, 2009, when he was with the Mets at age 30, you're like, yeah, this guy, every year, he's this is going to be a Hall of Famer. And then the injuries took place, and he hasn't pitched a pitch in the major league since 2012. And, I, I mean, forget the Hall of Fame. Is he even going to make it back to the, to the field? I would love it to because I, thought, I loved Johan Santana. I loved watching him pitch. I loved his peak, you know. And he was putting together a career with the Twins in his first few years with the Mets. But it fell off the cliff. And those are two that immediately came to mind. You know, the, you know, Joey Votto was a player. I mean, you think about players who had a peak where you can say they are the elite, that they are the player who you look at going, man, this player is the, is the top of the, is the top of the pops. Now, last year, Joey Votto led the league in who owns baseball and has had a peak of about, you know, four or five years where I think he's one of the absolute best offensive players in the game. Why he's not a leadoff batter, I will never understand. He seems to be the ideal leadoff hitter, but that's neither here nor there with me right now. 
not having a great year this year and difficult to figure out. One that really, a player who I thought of, again, you know, we don't know if Trout or Harper are going to be Hall of Famers. I know that sounds absurd, but we don't. The reason we don't is because they're certainly on their way to the Hall of Fame. So is Nomar Garcia Parra. They have the early stats of the Hall of Fame and the dominance of the Hall of Fame. So did Brett Saberhagen. So did Lincecum. What player looked more destined to go to the Hall of Fame than Lincecum, for God's sake? So Trout and Harper certainly are laying down the groundwork for a Hall of Fame career. Injuries could catch up. Slumps could catch up. Yeah, we don't know yet. I mean, Dale Murphy looked like he was putting together a Hall of Fame career. Fell short. Don Manning looked like he was putting a Hall of Fame career together. Fernando Valenzuela did. Things can come short. So, I mean, we have to see how those careers unfold. Now, you have players who had great peaks of genius. I'm thinking of Adam Wainwright. I'm thinking of Jose Bautista. I'm thinking about Victor Martinez, who may not have had enough peaks in their career to say, all right, they're going to be a Hall of Famer. But, man, if you're a Blue Jay fan... You are going to think back and eventually just love the idea of Jose Bautista. If you're a St. Louis Cardinal fan, you are going to look at Adam Wainwright and be like, this guy is, is just a guy you love. Now, Wainwright, Wainwright's an interesting case because he has had, uh, what, about four, I'd say four years where he is a Cy Young caliber pitcher. He's also basically missed two seasons. He missed, he missed all of the 2011 World Championship year, and he missed most of the 2015 Division Championship year. Uh, the, but, you know, he had several years where he just was the, not the best pitcher in baseball because he was pitching the same league as Clayton Kershaw, but in the conversation. And, of course, burst onto the scene in, 20, in 2006 as a rookie to replace Isringhausen in the bullpen and you have the image of him getting the big out, you know, striking out uh, uh, Beltran with the curveball to get him into the World Series and striking out Brandon Inge to win the World Series. If you're a Cardinal fan, you're looking at the 10-plus years of Adam Wainwright in a Cardinal uniform, and he's someone just beloved and will always be beloved in St. Louis. He's going to come up far short of the Hall of Fame, but he's going to be someone who is... That beloved player with the great peak, the great championships, the great moments, eh, not a Hall of Famer, but going to be have the same impact as a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Now the, one, now, the two other ones that really came to mind, because they, they fit that description perfectly, um, Joe Maurer. Now think about Joe Maurer for a second. Again, when we talk about a player who at one point looked like, oh, man, we're looking at a Hall of Famer, aren't we? You know, by, he won his first batting title. when He, you know, he had his, came up immediately, was this great hitter. Won his first of his three batting titles by age 23. By 26, he had won three out of, three out of four batting titles, was a gold glove catcher, and in 2009 just... Led the league across the board, you know, 
batting average. He slashed. His slash line was in bold italics. Highest batting average, highest on base percentage, highest slugging, obviously highest OPS, obviously highest OPS plus. To do that as a gold glove catcher at age 26, you're like, oh my God. This is, this is, we're looking at, there was an argument you could say, are we going to be looking at the greatest catcher of all time here? At least the greatest offensive catcher of all time. At age 26, what he was building up at that point, you're thinking, we may be. We very well may be looking at the best, the best offensive catcher of all time and seeing that unfold. And then he wanted, you know, the, the thought was, is he going to go to the Red Sox or is he going to go to the Yankees? Because Veritek was winding down, Posada was winding down. Was there going to be a giant uh, uh, bidding war over him? The Minnesota Twins came out of nowhere to offer him a contract extension that basically is uh, until the seas boil. And everyone looked, oh, it's such a great thing, such a great thing. They got the new stadium. They got the greatest catcher of all time. And then you look at what he's done in the 2010s. It's not that he's been a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. But he has moved from second, from second, Christ, from catcher to third to, what the hell is the matter with? I'll tell you why, because I'm looking at the number two for catcher and the number three for first baseman. Because uh, I have his baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. I have his page up there. And I was seeing when he made the transition from catcher to first base. And it was really between 2013 and 2014 that that transition happened. So I'm looking at two and three. So I'm coming up with second base, third base. Forgive me. We made the transition from catcher to first base was really between 2013 and 2014. And while he still has had a few productive seasons, we're not talking Hall of Famer here. And now we're talking about a guy, when is his contract up? Let me scroll down for a second. You know, he's going to be, his contract is still paid through 2017, 23. He's got, after this season, got two more years left to his deal. A tremendous amount of money being spent by the Minnesota Twins for who they thought was going to be a Hall of Famer. A homegrown, from St. Paul, Minnesota, Hall of Fame catcher, Joe Maurer. I don't see him getting to the Hall of Fame right now. If you're a Twins fan... He should still be a beloved figure and should have made an impact on those years where they went to the playoffs in, in 06. Oh, and was he on the 04 team? No, it was on the, he didn't play in 04, but in 06, uh, 09, 2010. They narrowly missed in 2008. He had that great peak. MVP. Greatest catcher we're ever going to see? Not quite so much. The other one is Cliff Lee. Now, Cliff Lee has one very interesting uh, blight in his career, uh, and it's typically Cleveland. Uh, Cliff Lee is, uh, you know, he had, a uh, again, an unbelievably great peak in his career. And I think he's had about, you know, about maybe four or five years in his career, between in, a, in an eight-year stretch, really, where he was a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And a couple of years, you can't look at his win-loss record because there was a couple of years, like, he had a year in 2012 with the Phillies where if you looked at all of his numbers, it was no different than when he was winning 17, 18 games a year. High strikeout, low walk, 211 innings pitched, and ERA in the threes. He had a terrific year. His record was 6-9 and that year. If you just look at his record, man, he was crap this year. You look at every other number, man, he was terrific. And in... You know, 2004, 
Yeah, he wasn't very good in 2004. But by 2005, 2006, he was very good. 2008, he was a Cy Young winner. And 2009, he helped the Phillies make the playoffs. That one year in between was 2007, where he was terrible. And that was a year where the Indians got to within one win of the World Series, and they really could have used another pitcher like Cliff Lee. And if he just had a Cliff, a normal Cliff Lee season, chances are the Indians win the 2007 World Series. But, you know, you look at Cliff Lee and what he did in the postseason with the Phillies and with the Rangers and his, his dominant years in, in Cleveland, he had, a, he had a career where you looked at him as an elite difference-making pitcher. Absolutely. Is he going to make the Hall of Fame? Probably not. Probably not. But when you recount baseball, the late 2000s, early 2010s, you're going to mention Cliff Lee. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, Noah Kennedy. There are a lot of players who have that sort of impact, who have an impact where they look and feel as much of an impactful player as anyone who eventually makes it to the Hall of Fame. It just is hard to pick that. It's hard to see that. And it's hard to know which surefire Hall of Famer is going to fall flat on their face because do you know what? There tends to be a few. I don't want it to be Mike Trout. I don't want it to be Bryce Harper. I want them both to get in the Hall of Fame. I want them both to get in the Hall of Fame the same year. I think that would be a great day. But the fact of the matter is we don't know yet. It's like those magic eye drawings. you got to stare at it and see the thing rise to the top and say, oh, that's what this is a picture of. And there are some players right now. Are we thinking Paul Goldschmidt? Are we thinking Josh Donaldson? We're not sure right now. Are we thinking Zach Grinke? We're not sure right now. But it will be clear by the end of the decade. So hopefully I did something to answer your question, Noah Kennedy. And if any of you have something you want me to talk about, send me a tweet at Sully Baseball and hashtag it Sunday Request. Go to sullybaseball.wordpress.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 19th day of June, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>